Welcome to the Out of the Woods Podcast. The top five headlines threat hunters need to be thinking of this week. Everybody. Welcome to the Out of the Woods podcast, the top five threat hunting headlines for the week of March 27th. It's you got myself, Mike Mitchell, and we got Lee Arkanal here again this week. Um, how you doing, Lee? Pretty good, and thank you all for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you know you listening in on what we have to say, and look forward to the headlines this week. Um, we're kind of bouncing around this week. It's I got some interesting headlines. Hopefully, we'll keep you on your toes with some of the topics. But to start it out. I guess I'll go for the first one. We are going to be talking about the kind of the, the TikTok ban. I know we've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast, really centered around kind of the cybersecurity implications of the the app. Some of the, you know, the team members have kids that use it, and, you know, and their kids use it. But it's really interesting to start seeing it hit the kind of the political sphere. So there was a congressional hearing last week where it was interesting. They actually kind of had bipartisan support. And they were grilling the CEO over TikTok. And so kind of getting into the details, it's really just centered around uh, what we're, we're kind of assuming is a spying campaign around the Chinese government, but more so around the kind of the protections and security protections around the kids using it today. Um, so Lee, I know, I know you've kind of used it. I don't know. Have you tracked this the storyline that much? So I followed it and it's always interesting when, uh, first of all, it's super impressive that this brought Republicans and Democrats together. Like right. this will be something in history books that's mentioned later on. Um, yep. But when it comes to Congress looking at big tech, um, there are interesting points being made. But really, whenever we're talking about the ban, um, I'm f- I fully support if government is trying to ban TikTok on government issued devices. Being from the military. Um, and honestly, working for any corporation as well that provides you with a device, there's always that level of acceptance that this is not mine. Um, right. It's, you know, it's controlled uh, by certain uh, technologies, like, you know, whether the organization puts antivirus on it, you know, whatever the case may be. I, I fully support that um, because honestly, those are the people that are getting targeted. Uh, if you can target a representative or a government official and you know they could possibly uh, leak sensitive data because you know there's a lot of times that they do have access to it i mean look at the what was it 2016 with the clinton emails i mean that was a big issue right but whenever it comes down to u.s citizens i get a little hesitant i get the idea that there's a lot of information that they can pull from you i i get that looking at the documentation and that uh, what the TikTok leaked or the algorithm that it's leaked and how it's tended to look or it promotes, uh, you know, I think they said, and I'm trying to find it real quick, but I think they said that it's actually designed to promote sad stories because people get sucked oh, into this. Right. right. Like, yeah. I get the idea. I just think we need to, if, if they're going to try and regulate something like social media, I think there has to be a better solution. I don't know. It, yeah, it, right. You got to address Facebook, you got to address TikTok, you got to address all these other avenues of approach. 
have a feeling that this is really catching a lot of interest because it's owned by China. You know yeah, one hundred percent. It was a really interesting listening to some of the congressmen and, and you know the political folks talking about security, and they're just so far off. <laughs> you know, some of the questions they were asking, right? And it's it's always funny every time they they have big tech on and they're they're grilling them about cybersecurity or just technical things. They have no idea what they're talking about typically. But to your point in center around TikTok, the it kind of gets into just the algorithms, right? And how those are being used to target children, individuals, the kind of, you know, what we think and hear and, and kind of um, communicate or regurgitate in our social lives, right? And so this kind of gets into also the open AI as people are starting to use generative AI, it's starting to become more of a topic around, you know, who are actually building, maintaining, uh, building these models around, you know, these algorithms that are being used. And so one of really awesome podcasts I listened to, the All In podcast, talked about how to then commoditize these algorithms. So you have a choice to say, I want a very aggressive algorithm around XYZ, or I want this algorithm focused on education. And being able to toggle those things off and on gives you a little bit more control rather than just the clicks, the views, and the things you might hover over. So there's a pretty interesting kind of concept that they were talking about there where let, let's control the algorithm, right? And let people make decisions about what you're actually seeing uh, outside of just banning the whole app. If we're talking about that in particular with, with TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, right? So there's a pretty novel approach to kind of extrapolating out that the kind of the black box mentality of a lot of these, these organizations. No, and you're right. Um... It's it's all centered around the data, right? Where is this data going? Who's seeing it? Who's promoting it? And whatnot? I, I don't know if there is a solution out there though, um, because we've seen how other organizations have used it. We see the value of data, but you know, it would be nice to see a little more transparency, like you mentioned, about mm -hmm. you know, if a concerned mother or father are like, well, what is my kid looking at? Who's promoting it? You know, that would be great, but yeah. I. Still hesitant about completely banning stuff. I think, and with respects to kind of TikTok and what we're talking about from a cybersecurity perspective, right? So the I think this all kind of stemmed from the terms and service and agreements that you sign when you join TikTok, and it's pretty egregious the data it has access to, and where is that data being stored, and how is that data being utilized? So I think that's really kind of the the, the underlying issue with TikTok is just where is that data going, right? If you're talking about location tracking and services on your, your device, I think that's why a lot of government agencies are starting to ban it across, uh, you know, government employees and, and some colleges, some state and local as well. So I think that's where you kind of get into this issue uh, with TikTok. So it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of I don't know if this has happened before where there's been a full ban on, on a service in the United States like this. So this is going to be very interesting to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, so, you know, thinking about it from a cybersecurity approach, I think that's the interesting part of this. But we'll kind of shift over to, I think, one of your next articles that really kind of dives into more of a, a cyber landscape. Yeah, so uh, my first article is a article by Sentinel One blog, or it's on the Sentinel One blog named Black Mamba Chat GPT Polymorphic Malware. Um, and then it asks the question, a case of scareware or a wake-up call for cybersecurity? Um, basically, you know, since Chat GPT came out, people are like, 
it can automate everything. So of course, people started pushing the limits to say, you know, what's going on? What can I do with it? They found that they could write, you know, simple scripts. Then finally, they've come to the point where they can write uh, pieces of malware. Um, so someone created a POC or proof of concept, which is, they called Black Mamba. And basically what it does is it calls out to a location, or sorry, it uses a benign executable to reach out to a high reputation AI, so OpenAI or ChatGPT, and it pulls, it requests and pull down the code. So because, you know, normally what would happen is you could possibly find a connection to a C2 server, you could find an anomalous, you know, connection or call out to a location that looks immediately interesting, something that you could say that's most likely malicious. Uh, you know, well, instead, it's reaching out to a high reputation place like ChatGPT or OpenAI to pull down code. Now, this has been seen in the past. This is a this is not a old technique. Now, implementing the OpenAI and ChatGPT is the new portion of it, but we've seen um, threat actors reach out to Pastebin, Dropbox, different, you know, other cloud infrastructures that they can pull code down from. So it's not like this is brand new. The only thing that's brand new about it is that they are reaching out and pulling down malware from ChatGPT. Now, they wanted it to be polymorphic or it's you know constantly changing, or it's a type of malware that is programmed to repeatedly mutate its appearance or sig signature files through new decryption routines. So it's, it's evading detection because it's constantly changing, right? right? Um, so those static signatures that are commonly used with AV, you know, it wouldn't be able to detect it possibly because it's never the same. But really at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, AI is not necessarily evil or good. Uh, if you can think of the implementations that exist uh, and the different ways that it's used, I mean, first of all, it's it's a computer, you know, right? It's an algorithm. It can't determine the intentions of the user, whether that be threat actor or security analyst. Right. Um, you know, so if you think about SIMs, EDRs, NDRs, they contain, or some of them contain artificial intelligence, uh, whether it be like Splunk, Splunk's machine learning toolkit, or, or you know, CrowdStrike and Sentinel One, some of these EDRs, they have machine learning built into them so that they could create detections. Uh, what that means is, you know, they might not be able to be detected through this machine learning, but still, you know, it's the implementation of AI that really matters. And at the end of the day, this proof of concept is for um, for detection, right? It's getting, it is avoiding detection. Now, what that means though, is that you can still, like if it's acting, it's still leaving traces. It still has events that are being populated around it. It's leaving event logs that contain information about what it, what it did, what its goals are. And as a threat hunter, um, you can start looking at these anomalous traces. So if it does get past the AV, if it does get past um, you know, the EDR detection, if it gets past all these different things, there's still the opportunity to take the, the proactive approach and threat hunt for it. Because um, you know, honestly, I see this as kind of like a new CVE. Mm -hmm. you know, CVE comes out, uh, they take a look at it. It's critical. It allows, you know, remote code execution. If it if it's exploited and no one detects it, okay, you know, at the end of the day, if it's remote code execution, then that threat actor is trying to execute code on your machine. So there's that possibility to hunt for. 
there are follow-on behaviors, there's follow-on actions that, are, that exist and that may give or give hints to the threat actor or to the threat hunters, the SOC or whoever whoever's conducting the threat hunt that is still being able to be found. It's this or this chat GPT isn't getting away from all detections like it's never been seen or will or will never be seen. Uh, right. It just it just avoids that initial detection portion of the game. Yeah, Sorry. I think that's really important. Right. Oh no, you're fine. I think that's really important to talk about as far as you know hunting for these things. How we at least talk about it are extrapolating out the detection mechanism. It's really about hunting for the behaviors. And so, you know, you're seeing all of these articles pop up about polymorphic malware. And that's really, in, in the article, I think they actually call it out that it's really everything that gets executed, potentially in memory, but out of that, like, execute function, typically in Python, right? And I believe the reason why at least the AI does that is every time you prompt it, I think I've seen there's a, you know, it changes the results here and there, right? So if you're talking about a detection, you're talking about the hash value of a function, the hash value of some some malware, that's gonna change every time you kind of extrapolate out what that function's doing because the code's gonna be a little bit different every time. And then calling out to kind of the anomalous, or excuse me, a benign remote source to retrieve those payloads. To your point, that's something that has been happening for forever, but that's that's a kind of a, a less mature way to find that that traffic or that malicious activity if we're talking about those ICs like IPs, domains, URLs. Um, but that generative AI isn't going to potentially build something that's a zero day without, because again, it, it's it's learning and it's getting basically prompted from known known things, um, and it's building stuff that has a kind of an understanding or at least some sort of basis off of. So, you know, these articles, I mean, again, this is from Sentinel-1, you know, their tools kind of widely used. This is beneficial for them to kind of talk about it in this way, I guess. But I think where it's really going to get interesting is if we start to see these, these AI programs with a net new data set start to understand and build, you know, true zero days or maybe a completely different understanding of how to create some sort of initial access technique or tactic that no human has thought of before. So that's when things really start to hit the, the alarms for me, at least. No, and I completely agree. I, I just, I hope it's not getting too overhyped. You know, this chat GPT and, you know, people aren't freaking out because at the end of the day, it, it's just another tool, right? It's just right. another technique. It's just another tactic. It's not going to be the, you know, like the wonder drug where it cures every, or it provides the threat actors with everything they need to compromise everything in the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. Yeah, so moving on. Actually going to swing back over to kind of an open AI topic since it's kind of adjacent to this. Last week, there was a bug that they found that exposed user data. Um, and I really just bring this up as, as we talk about really understanding the services that we're using, the services that organizations use. Um, as you get into kind of visibility and anomaly tracking and understanding your environment, um, typically hunters kind of get, you know, pretty explicit view in the organization's data and the visibility as they're doing threat hunting. So understanding kind of the outbound tools and services, maybe the external tools or some of the third party risks that could affect you. But this one's interesting, right? So OpenAPI is still using, you know, COTS and open source tooling like Redis to be able to provide services to organizations. And so 
in this article, in the Hacker News is talking about this bug was really based on Redis Python library and a uh, kind of a, a potentially known bug or a glitch that allowed that user chat history to be exposed. So from a security standpoint, really understanding that all of these tools use underlying libraries. So if you talk about the SolarWinds, Spring for Shell, Log for Shell, you know, this is where as organizations started to build in at least OpenAI and maybe ChatGPT into their processes, into their tooling. I've seen a variety of different organizations expose ChatGPT in their kind of UIs already. Understanding that risk, right? There's kind of underlying risk that I don't know if they've kind of initially thought through with kind of exposing these services in and around the other services that they're already providing. And then if we talk about kind of supply chain attacking or the ability for that organization to have some exposure based off of this library kind of nested within this overall service, you have to understand that risk and really start to understand how that can extrapolate outside of just the initial service that you're providing. So this one's kind of interesting for me just because we've dealt with some of this before. Um, and, and so I'd love to get, kind of get your thought from a hunting perspective, Lee. So it's interesting looking at the article and seeing, once again, a library being the cause of it all, right? Um, I don't know, like, what was it? Um, what was the last one? Log for Shell, where yep. all it was was someone requested a logging to be yeah. turned on, and that created the whole issue. It, it's interesting to see these supply chain attacks continue to evolve because it's it goes along with the threat hunting. What or the ease the the easiest way to get to an organization as a threat actor is no longer straight to that organization, right? right? So whether it be an MSSP or a contractor or whatever the case may be, from a threat hunter's perspective, I think uh, the what I would do is if I'm threat hunting for an organization or if I'm pulled into an organization to start threat hunting, um, you know, the question is, well, how do we prioritize what we're looking at? You know, there's many ways you can go. You can say, I want to look at the, you know, what are your critical servers or your business critical servers? What keeps your business afloat? You know, make those high priority. All right, who has the keys of the kingdom? Who are the number one admins in the organization that I really need to know about? Um, that if I see their activity going haywire, I know that it's probably malicious. Um, knowing about these organizations, you know, any third-party contractors, any MSSPs, anyone that's outside your organization needs to be thought of as a higher risk. Um, because of the capabilities that they have and what they provide. Just like any desk is, or any desk and team viewer, they are remote administrative tools that are commonly abused in attacks. And the reason they are is because of the capabilities, the functions and the capabilities that they have been designed to use, right? To gain access to someone else's computer to help them. They are commonly abused because of how easy they are to use. Those tactics and behaviors are used because they're easy, which means they should be considered a, um, a high risk and a high priority. So I would constantly um, conduct threat hunts for, and trying to learn those behaviors, those profiles. And, you know, and I keep saying, but prioritize those things to get a baseline of what is normal so that whenever the time comes, it's easier to determine what is an anomaly and what is not.
Um, but that yeah. honestly, that's how I would take a look at this. Um, I am shocked at the information. Looking at the article, I am shocked at the information that was uh, uh, leaked, mm -hmm. especially when it came to you know usernames, passwords, first full names, profiles, credit card names, numbers, uh, etc. And I will say the article says the la only the last four digits of a credit card number, which in hindsight it it shows that they were securing that data properly, I guess. Uh, right. But at the end of the day, there's always a risk of being compromised twice. So if that individual was compromised previously or their credit card was compromised, how easy would it be to find that or use that person's first first name, last name, email address, or you know the address that they live in? How How easy would it be to correlate that and find the the rest of the information. Right. And yeah, and it's all about the exposure to that social engineering. Yeah. A lot of people are good at. But I mean, you made a really good point, right? So you think about all these underlying services that are baked into the larger processing service, right? So from a DevOps perspective, understanding every single library that you have installed across everything that you expose on the internet or that you're using that are baked into a subset of other modules or services you're chasing your tail if you think that you can kind of manage the the risk across everything right so you know following the cdes is always a hard problem to do especially from an analyst perspective where you know you have these vulnerabilities that pop all the time it's really about understanding what your level of risk is in and around that vulnerability. Can you get to remote, uh, you know, remote execution? What are the next steps in the behaviors past somebody exploiting something? Are they really dropped into a place that they can do some lateral movement or pivoting? Or is it just, you know, that that vulnerability is exposed and you're dropped into a kind of in a container somewhere with no access to do anything, right? So that's where you start to under, really understand from a hunting perspective what you should care about from these CVEs and how those are actually impacting risk in an organization. So this kind of, again, highlights that, that, you know, there's going to be services baked in that are going to be exposed and have risk. That's why that log for shell was such a big issue is you could then pivot, get lateral movement, kind of, you know, set your hooks into that organization and do other bad things. And so it's really just about understanding what these actual vulnerabilities do in an environment and how they can affect you. Yeah, and it's tough too because once you do determine it, you have to rely on, or you either are really got to go through the entire like cybersecurity stack that you got going on, um, and that's tough too, right? You can you can say all day that um, you know we are coders code with security in in the forefront, right? Versus security as an afterthought. Even if they do produce solid, flawless code. You point out that the libraries, right? That was the vulnerability. You can't knock that person. Then, yeah, like you said, you got to focus on the other technical controls that exist, the administrative controls that exist, and really taking a look at your infrastructure and organization as a whole. It's tough. It's not easy. Absolutely not. Uh, but I don't know if we can solve that problem here on this podcast. <laughs> if we can, let us know. <laughs> All right. I guess you're up for the next one. Oh yeah. So my second second article uh, is more of a PSA than anything really. Um, whenever it comes to threat hunting, because it's more of a yeah. You know, I'm sure if you've followed Cyborg Security or if you followed Mike or any of our colleagues as well, um, you'll notice that I like to post things on LinkedIn. I like to post things on Twitter. I like to share what I read just because most 
while I'll say most of the stuff that I read is useful, it's thought provoking, and I always try to relate it to my day to day and how how could I leverage this information as a threat hunter. This article really, um, I didn't, I read it as a more of an informative piece. It was very instru- uh, insightful, very interesting, uh, but there's not a lot of threat hunting stuff that I really connected to it versus uh, I know a lot of people are trying to get into cybersecurity as a career. I know I've seen people post jobs. I've seen people, you know, say, hey, ping me, you know, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of people out there trying to get a job these days. And this article covered job or fake job posting scam that uh, Group IB found. Um, and they were they discussed that it was what 2,400 scam pages. Now this was a campaign that is possibly still ongoing. It targets the Middle East and Africa or Asian, or sorry, Middle East and Africa organizations. So it's not in the U.S. right, or I guess they haven't found one in the U.S. currently, but it leverages all the um, all the main signs that we talk about whenever it comes to social engineering. You know, they picked an organization that's reputable. They picked a popular organization. They're looking at multiple different types of industries. It's not just all, um, it's not all cybersecurity. It's actually, in fact, there's a lot of logistics when it's talking about, but what all it's doing is it's leveraging pretty much the need for people to work these days. So they're like, well, why not? Let's gather as much information as we can. And they also, Amongst the brands that they they used to impersonate, there were 40 well-known brands. And to top that off, they actually leveraged the World Cup as well. So you know that happened in Qatar. So they were like, well, you know what? Let's let's take advantage of that as well. So what they did was they just used the same stuff. They impersonated the brands that they were looking for. They created a sense of urgency. They put some catching or some contents in the post that would definitely uh, get people to apply. So job titles that seemed too perfect or pay that seemed too perfect. You know, if if it's looking for a junior or entry level job and it's, you know, halfway through the six figures, that's enticing, but is it really happening? And then, you know, of course, there was this, or like I said, sense of urgency where they're like, hey, you know, it's only gonna be open for a short time, you should do it now. And then, you know, once the person clicked apply, they would have to log into their social media, like such as Facebook. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, these pages would just capture that data that the user inputted and then send them on, on their way to uh, whatever site that they wanted to do. Now, the reason I bring this up is because a lot of, you know, I will connect with people on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I always tell them, hey, ask me any questions you got. And there's a lot of people that respond with, do you have any openings? Do you know of any organizations that have any openings? Um, and you know, I want to help them as much as possible to try and get into the site or you know, into the cybersecurity field. But really, at the end of the day, I'm only one man. I can only do one thing. But really, whenever it comes down to it, staying vi- vigilant when it comes to job postings is of the utmost importance. Never want to steer anyone down the wrong road. But you know, the the post also had some recommendations for users. You know, if you did, you know, if you are seeking a job and, you know, say you're desperate, you know, you're probably going to click on anything that you want or that, you know, looks amazing. But what you should really do is once you get that link, once you see the posting, you know, click on it, 
or don't click on it, sorry. If you see it for an organization, go to that organization organization's careers page. You know, double check or verify that, you know, this opportunity really exists because whenever it comes down to getting into cybersecurity, the last thing that you want that you want to stop you is getting your credentials compromised. Yeah, you know, that's a terrible thing to happen at any chance, but especially when you're trying to better your life. But if you do click on the link, if you do click on, you know, the apply and it takes you to a page, there's multiple things you can do. Um, you know, check the domain name and the URL. See if that looks legitimate. If it does, or if it looks close, maybe go to Google, type in the organization's legitimate legitimate page or their name. Go to that page and see what looks different, right? Compare before you enter any, uh, you know, usernames, passwords, or anything like that. You know, always trust but verify. Then finally, if if it does come down to the point where you have entered your credentials, first thing I would say is go change your credentials. Go to haveibeenphone.com, throw in your email that you use, see if that's compromised. If so, you know, you've already changed your password, you should be good. Uh, but you know, just stay vigilant. I know you're, you know, if you're looking for a career, you're trying to better your life. That means, but that doesn't mean just jump at anything, even if it does, especially, especially, especially if it looks too good to be true. But yeah, that's, that's just my non-threat hunting PSA for the day. I love it. No, I think it's great to kind of walk through that process, recovery, quote unquote, process if you do run into a situation like this, right? And I'm sure there's campaigns in the United States as well. I know LinkedIn does a decent job of, of tracking some of the, the malicious actors there if they're sending you spam or trying to get you to click and, and, and you know, adding credentials. I think they do some link checking. But uh, it's interesting that, especially through a lot of the rifts that have been happening in our industry, um, that this hasn't popped up more often. And I, is it is it potentially due to kind of the security training and just kind of the hyper-awareness that, at least we try to do over here. I don't know how, how much of that happens kind of overseas and, and where this was targeted, but uh, do you think that has anything to do with it, with with just going, really going after kind of the lowest common denominator, so to speak? I don't, to be honest, I don't know. If they do, I don't know if they do cybersecurity awareness training, um, but maybe that could definitely be a reason why they are targeting that that area. Or, Maybe there are just so many more people pursuing cybersecurity degrees, trying to get into technology versus here, where I know there is a big influx of degrees that people are pursuing, but we also have a lot more opportunities in other industries, right? Maybe some organizations don't have that or locations don't have that. That's a very good question that I should definitely search and figure that answer out too. Yep. Awesome. All right, so we want to move over to the last one. Do you have anything else there? No, no. We'll say would be surprised if we don't see one in the upcoming future, especially with all the big tech companies laying people off now. It would be hard to believe that Facebook is now hiring a uh, senior security engineer when they just laid off, you know, X amount of thousand people. Coming in the future, if say Meta does pick up or Twitter does, you know, if their stocks go up and they start needing to grow, then I can see them taking advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, hopefully it doesn't hit us hard, right? 
But I yeah. think everything that you mentioned and walked through is perfect, right? That's exactly how we should be thinking about if it's something does happen, how to kind of recover from it. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So the last one is centered around an article from securitynews.com and the CISA released a new tool to detect hacking activity in Microsoft cloud environments. So they've done this before. It's an open source tool called Untitled Goose Tool. That's a great name. It sounds like they used a name generator for it, but it's a Python tool. It was also built in collaboration with Sandia. It's a laboratory of the Department of Energy. Um, and basically what it does, it allows you to dump telemetry information around Active Directory, Azure 365, Defender, and Defender for Endpoint. It basically just gives you an analysis and export of a lot of logs centered around kind of the telemetry and activity within those environments. And so this is a great, great tool for organizations kind of use to understand that visibility. I mean, I'll, I would hope a lot of that data is just getting pumped into, again, this is kind of centered around Defender and AD, but if you're dumping that into Sentinel or any other SIM tool, this could be a really good indication of maybe some things that you're missing or maybe some, some you know, logs that you should be hyper-focused on. Um, but from the other side of this, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a, an actor, right, and, and this might be a tool I use in my environment if I if I can get some some popped credentials to basically just dump all the visibility and telemetry out of those tools and maybe uh, have an understanding of what techniques or tactics I could then potentially utilize that aren't being seen out of these logs and these dumps or kind of track my steps and the artifacts that I'm leaving behind and kind of the the trail chromes that I'm leaving based on the visibility and maybe based on the things I'm doing in the environment. So I always kind of look at these tools as kind of a double-edged sword that it's great for the defender, but it could also be used potentially for the attacker. And Lee, what'd you kind of get out of this first? No, that was actually exactly what I was thinking. I've thought about the, um, the process that we go through uh, and what we teach people whenever it comes to threat hunting is that yeah, it's proactive, so you have to think about where you want to start, right? You can't just, or because it's proactive, you have to pick the starting point, right? Um, and researching is a huge portion of understanding where to start. So if you sit there and say, I want to look at a keylogger, you know, well, I need to know what a keylogger activity looks like. I need to figure out, you know, what are the logs that are created? What files are accessed, what directory does it install, you know, all that, all that information is crucial to building a, any good threat hunt plan. Right. This is the same thing, but on the opposite, right? Just like you said, it's open source. A threat actor can take a look at it. They can see best practices. They can see, you know, what this tool has to offer and possibly get around it. And they could also take the best practices and figure out, well, how can I blend in the best Right. to any of these best practices. Um, now, I do like the idea that they paired this up with a tool called Decider. You know, it says it was launched after the publication of the best practices guide in January. So they're not only providing what, they're not just providing you this tool to look for anomalies, right? They're saying, hey, we're, we're giving you this, we're giving you the idea of best practices, and we're giving you a tool to actually help, you know, baseline it. Well, to my understanding, I could be wrong there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I haven't really dug into this tool or what it does, 
you know, it, they're helping improve security measures of an organization. Yep. Now, what I'm, <laughs> and this is me putting my tin foil hat on, or I guess skeptic or troll on. I'm very excited to see researchers or people that are immediately paranoid, right? Yep. This, the government's giving me this tool to check out my cloud infrastructure. <laughs> right, right, right. What are they gaining? <laughs> and, you know, it's always a question that, that always pops into my mind that's like just hilarious because, you know, um, history experiences have proven that everything good doesn't always mean everything's good. But, you know, I'm always curious to see. Um, those are really the exciting parts of it, right? The trolls that come out or the research really, but I'm curious. Yeah, it would be interesting to see and dive into that script, right? And I would caution anybody in the security field that is running some of these open source scripts, like take a look at the code if you can, and if you can kind of dissect it to understand what's happening, you know, because there have been situations where that code has callouts or it curls down things and, and passes it off to, you know, other services, right? So uh, always take a look and, and kind of track in that code and make sure that uh, you can kind of see the visibility of what's actually happening. Uh, you know, I, I love that this is putting out some of these tools to really help maybe less mature organizations or just kind of, you know, push this concept or understanding of visibility and logging matters, right? And that's great, but still always trust but verify and if it isn't for and taking you know getting back off the paranoia boat uh, i mean look at the article that you talked about before this OpenAI had a library that was vulnerable right if you just take a look at the code and understand what libraries are being used uh, what the you know what it's all running on then you could help understand you know or once again label that as a possible priority or a high privileged or high priority uh, function and pay closer attention to it. If you can list all the libraries that it's using, put that in a tracker and say, you know, if there's any vulnerabilities or if these libraries ever become compromised in a supply chain attack, you know, then at least you know, you could say, hey, we're using this tool. We have this, it uses these libraries. One has been compromised. You know, we have to stop using this. So it would just help organizations quicker if you think of like a, a more complete inventory and yes, going back to what Mike said, check the code, see what it's doing, understand what you're implementing uh, and what risk comes with it. Yep, trust but verify. Yep. Um, awesome. Well, you know, that, I always love these kind of start of the week conversations. Do you have anything else, Lee? I think we can- No, no, good. I'm good. All right. But so we do have some things coming up for everybody that's listening. We have a hybrid hunting, basically it's a webinar centered around hunting in the managed managed security kind of space are really centered around kind of a hybrid approach. And that's March 29th at 12 o'clock. Um, so it's coming up this week. And then we have another webinar centered around threat hunting management. So around KPIs and metrics. So that's April 12th at 12. I mean, that's called top cover. And then of course, um, you know, we'd love to talk to anybody. I'll be out at RSA this year. There's any listeners that'll be at RSA, love to have a conversation and chat with you. So you can kind of reach out to kind of info at or, you know, you know, the organizer to uh, set up some time. But uh, again, you know, happy hunting, everybody. Hope you have a great week. Be always great to talk. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 
For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.